Nation, Rob McGregor, welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground, and thank you for joining us. This is Trish McGregor, Rob McGregor, and our tech magician, John Posey. You can go to themysticalunderground.com, where we make regular posts and find out about our books. Our most recent nonfiction book is Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. Trish's latest novel is Skin Shifters, and Rob's latest novel is Tulpas, now an audiobook as well as the print and digital editions. Okay, our guest today on the Mystical Underground is Susan Yontarno, a retired veterinarian who has had experiences that go well beyond our everyday physical reality. Susan's story is astonishing because of the frequency of contact with other dimensional beings and its, pecu and its peculiar nature. Susan first contacted us about six years ago after she heard us talk uh, talking about our book. Since then, we've had a chance to meet Susan and her husband, Greg, several times, and they were both guests earlier this year on the Mystical Underground, so this it's time for an update. Many of Susan's encounters <clears> with these, <throat> beings, these beings over the years have been uplifting and healing, but they, also, they, they can also be frightening, even terrifying. We're going to get into some of that today. These are very strange beings from our perspective as humans. They appear and disappear, move effortlessly through walls, levitate, travel in ways that are beyond our everyday concept of how we get from one place to another. Susan has taken a fantastic, has taken fantastic out-of-body journeys with these beings to other worlds, but that all came to an abrupt halt more than a year ago after she encountered a being that is probably best described as a demon. And this being, with its collection of minions, have relentlessly pursued, harassed, and blocked Susan from her out-of-body travels and joyful encounters. Susan also has made a collection of strange recordings uh, of these creatures, which we'll get to towards the end of the show. We want to welcome Susan and her husband, Greg, uh, who has shared some of Susan's experiences. Hi, uh, you guys. How are you doing? Hi, Rob and Trish and John. Nice to talk to you again. Thank you for you having too. me on. And Greg, thank you for joining us also. Thank you. Greg's here. Okay. okay. Um, Susan, before you went to college and became a vet, before you had any of these experiences with interdimensional beings, you were working on a farm and had quite a dramatic UFO sighting. Can you tell us a bit about your work on the farm and how that experience with the UFO? Sure. I left home when I was 17 and moved to a, a commercial, it's a farm that had a commercial lab operation on it. Had a little um, tiny cottage there. It was converted milk house. And that was in 1976, and it was uh, really hard work, but I loved it. I worked in the lab during the day and worked with horses in the evening and on weekends. And I, I was just uh, determined to establish a, a, a career path in science, and this seemed to be the place to do it. So I was really um, dedicated to my work, and uh, I, was, I had an unusual life. Mm -hmm. I could see 
uh, spirits from now and then, but I would just brush it off. I had no time for that kind of stuff. And <laughs> from time to time, I could see auras, especially uh, if I was with a lover. There would always there would be uh, glows between us. Um, but then one day in 1978, it was in the fall. I had my arm in a cast because I got bucked off a horse. Now sitting at the table just reading a book, um, uh, and uh, my German Shepherd wanted to go outside, so he flips the latch on the screen door and goes outside to relieve himself and usually comes right back in. And, uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes went by, and I got concerned because it's unlike him to just uh, disappear like that. So by then it was like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and I went outside, and I'm up, uh, looking towards the barns, calling his name, nothing. He was nowhere to be seen. And then I just had this awful feeling come over me. It's like all the hairs on the back of my neck just stood up. And I slowly turned towards the mountain, which was to my left, and uh, we were at the base of the Appalachian Trail, right at the base. And so the mountain was, was uh, within a mile. And uh, this enormous silent UFO drifted over the mountain range, uh, started <clears throat> drifting towards me, and then turned south. And even though it seemed to be going in slow motion, it was there and gone in no time. And I was frozen in, sp- in place. I couldn't move. I was just thinking to myself, please don't see me. Please, please, please. <laughs> I, uh, I really didn't want to get their attention at all. It was a triangular craft, and it was rounded in the back and rather rounded on the bottom. It had um, a white and uh, silver-green, silvery-greenish lights on the bottom, a big, a lot of white light and some silvery-green lights. And, uh, um, you know, once it turned south, I um, um, was able to uh, move again and was out of sight, and my dog came down from the barns with his ears pinned back. He looked distressed. I, look, I put him in the house real quick and ran up to the main house where the owner's wife was. She was a, and We were friends, and, and I knocked on the door, and I was just stammering and shaking, and I was trying to tell her what I just saw, and she had said, let's get a, come on, let's get a glass of wine. You need to calm down. So she what, was the, what was the altitude of the craft about? Oh, gosh, I don't know what the altitude would be of that mountain. It was the tail end of the Blue Ridge. It, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I couldn't say. Okay. I, I just couldn't say. But it was. if I held my hand up in front of my face, it wouldn't, co- it wouldn't cover the entire mm, okay. craft. All right. Um, so so it, wasn't it, was a a speck, craft. it wasn't a large wasn't a little speck of light in the sky by any means. No, was, this was very clear, and I yeah. saw details, and right. it was in my face, basically. Yeah. And the size was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So yeah. around that time, you know, I did call the, the um, local military base because I grew up on a mil- that military base, and I knew they had some sort of... Uh, um, satellite dishes there, and I, I thought maybe it's something they're doing. I wanted an explanation for this because it was so frightening. I wanted it to be you know, something logical. And, um, and they directed me to, they said, no, they don't do anything like that. They directed me to somebody at the um, police station who had a similar experience, and he, contact, he gave me the numbers of someone in D.C. And the next day, I can't remember if it was two or three men came out. I remember one in the back seat, so it must have been three. 
that was 40 some years ago, you know. Yeah. And um, they came out the next day. I was shocked with the, they had equipment, cameras, recorders, compasses, mm. and all that. They took very detailed notes on everything. And I couldn't draw the craft because the cast covered my fingers and my thumb, too. <laughs> it was a bad break. And so I couldn't, I, they wanted me to draw the craft, but I, I couldn't manage with my left hand. And, but they gave me a stack of information. turned out that that whole area was a hotbed of activity, and I had no idea. I mean, my whole life was that farm. I, I rarely went anywhere and certainly never, you know, discussed things like UFOs or <laughs> anything like that. It just wasn't, you know, something in my life. But at the same time this was going on, I was always noticing out of the corner of my eye these uh, what I thought were ghost children appearing and reappearing around the barns. They would be in the doorways just watching me, and I, I would swing around real fast and say, gotcha, hoping to catch one face-to-face -face because I could see them in my peripheral vision. And they were always the same height, and I just thought they were ghost children, that's all. And uh, as it turns out, it uh, probably was what um, people call the grays or something similar to the grays. Hmm. Uh, so uh, during this time, I also saw a very uh, fully manifested ghost of a soldier in front of me when I was at a, um, a friend's house uh, at a party and uh, just had a number of, of strange things happening in my life. But I, a lot of it I just dismissed, even though yeah. it shook me up. You know, I used to love to look at the night sky, but after that I would walk up to the barns at night with my face <laughs> watching my feet instead of the stars because yeah. I did not want to see anything like that again. And I think I you told us, yeah, and I think you told us before that these men who came to the farm to uh, interview about this wanted to take you somewhere, didn't they? Oh, yeah, one of them did. He took me off to the side. But didn't you? Which didn't was they... a little unusual. And he says, how well do you know these mountains? Mm -hmm. And I said, and I was a hiker. And um, and I said, and I lived in that area all my life. I said, oh, I know them really well. And he says, how about the Catoctin Mountains? Are you familiar with those? And I used to go up there because there were a lot of nice waterfalls in that area and hike around. I said, sure, I'm pretty familiar with that. He goes, well, um, would you like to, would you accompany me to the Camp David area uh, if you're familiar with the Catoctin Mountains? And I was like, well, I guess. <laughs> I really, really wasn't sure. Uh, if that was the right thing to do, but I thought, okay, I'm, I, I'm always up for a, a walk in the mountains. So uh, I said, sure, and um, he gave me his number. And this was uh, like a Thursday, and he wanted to go on a Saturday. And that night, I uh, or the next day, I was telling my mother on the phone what happened, even though it's not something that my family was really open to and how this guy wanted me to go with him up to the Camp David area. And she just out of nowhere, and I don't, I, it just threw me off guard. She said, don't do it, Susie. He's one of them. He, he might be one of them. And I was like, one of them? One of who? <laughs> what? <laughs> but she was so, her, her, it was such an urgent warning that it upset me. Yeah. And so I called the guy after I hung up phone with my conversation with her and I said uh, forget it and they're not doing it and he was yeah. like very upset about it why mm. why who got to you what's 
going on here. <laughs> he, he was not happy with uh, the fact that I changed my mind on that. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and I was like, I don't want anything to do with this stuff. It is just weird and creepy. But it turns yeah. out that the whole area had a lot of UFO activity. Oh, um, it was the area where the Blair Witch Project was filmed, too. Oh, right. But, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, that was just around the corner in uh, Burkittsville, which is a small, small right. town yeah. within yeah. a small town. Yeah. And uh, so it was a, a very rural area. And um, even some of the farmers uh, that were super conservative people around there had had very similar UFO um, sightings, which shocked me. I did. I learned all this through these guys who came from DC. Mm. I don't know what they, if they were um, part of the government projects or, or or if this was an independent group. I I just don't recall. Was when, Fox Mulder with them? <laughs> what's that? Was Fox Mulder with them <laughs> from the X Files? <laughs> Oh no! Okay, I don't know anything about the X Files. Yeah, I don't, I don't watch the stuff. I don't read the stuff. So, um, but anyway, uh, they gave me a bunch of, of of published reports, probably about a half inch thick stack, hmm. and uh, it, it finally got to a point when I uh, moved to North Carolina after that to pursue my career in science in the early '80s. I ended up just burning them all because I was like, I cannot do this. Uh, it's not fitting into yeah. my paradigm. Okay, I thought you know, this I was North Carolina. What, what, where was the farm located? What the farm was in Maryland. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, Middletown, Maryland. It was a very rural area, a lot of horse farms around yeah. there, um, and crop farmers right at the base of the mountain. That was, uh, um, we weren't that far t from like Antina Battlefield and Harper's Ferry, very historic uh -huh. area. Okay, well let's so. jump to the let's jump to the late '90s now when you're working as a vet and uh, married to your first husband, another vet, and you both began having encounters with unusual beings. How did that start, and do you remember the initial encounter? Well, my I married my uh, previous husband in North Carolina when we were both in vet school. He was two years ahead of me, but he was eight years younger. And we just, you know, we were going to, um, you know, build our empire as veterinarians working together. And um, so he was, you know, we never discussed anything outside of, uh, of science, really. Um, and when we moved to Maryland, Annapolis, Maryland, I uh, woke up one morning after a couple of weeks working at the clinic. And I guess it was about a month after working and just, I woke up in the morning and I had these blotches, big quarter-sized dark blotches on my neck. They went all up the, from the center all up to the right side, um, about seven of them. They just appeared out of nowhere. And they, I mean, they were very obvious. I was, when I went to wash my face in the morning, I looked in the mirror, I went, holy shit. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, I went and woke my husband up. I said, look at this. Look at this. He goes, oh, my God, what is that? What, what, what happened? Where did this come from? And that's when I knew as soon as I looked in the mirror, I thought to myself, this is related to the extraterrestrials. It just kind of popped in my head. And, uh, and I went and I told him about some of my experiences, and he just sat there looking at me, you know, like I had uh, – two heads you hadn't uh, said anything to him up to this point oh no no never oh. discussed anything like that um 
and I finally confessed that I saw UFO and that I was seeing, you know, spirits and things like that, and that I think this is related to my UFO sighting. And also, when I was in North Carolina, I had a vision in an isolation tank of five faces of the gray-like the, um, mm-hmm. beans. The gray, it, they were more attractive than the Whitley Strieber grays. They were mm-hmm. pleasant to look at. Mm-hmm. And uh, and um, so I knew that this was all tied in, and, and he was just confused by it. So I went to a dermatologist. They couldn't explain it. It was, you know, uh, hyperpigmentation just doesn't happen like that instantaneously. Mm-hmm. And um, and they were there for years. Well, they were there for years because it was a um, sign that I needed to speak up about something. I needed to use my voice. That's why it was on my throat. And I, I knew that it had something to do with that. And what I had to speak up about is the guy I was working for was very violent with animals. And, but he was a well-established, well-respected vet. He had had his own clinic, and people have worked for him there for 23, 26 years. And so it was a really difficult situation for me to deal with because if I reported him, he'd lose his license, and then all the techs would lose their jobs that they've had for 20, 23 years. That's a very tough position for a new vet to be in. <clears throat> and um, so they, you know, I would call a meeting about it and say, look, we're as guilty as he is if we don't say anything, and there seemed to be no way out of it. I finally found a way to report him to um, an impairment committee and uh, – and um, they got him into psychiatric treatment, and then I left the mm. clinic after that. So that that was a good way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Did the marks disappear and, then? And the marks disappeared within weeks, just huh. vanished. Yeah. And so your... it was, I had to speak my truth. I had mm-hmm. to learn to not be afraid to speak my truth. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, that this is how the beans work. They slowly... Um, um, encouraged me to uh, stand in in my own power and mm-hmm. be confident and I, uh, to speak my truth. Yeah. Now, Susan, and, you you had one that uh, you described during those from the from those early years named John. Uh, I think that was the name you gave him. Yeah. Uh, he probably wasn't called John. <laughs> I call him Mo. Uh, Actually, it was the angel that was working with my ex-husband said his name was unpronounceable, but you can call him John. Okay. Oh, that's funny. So uh-huh. the, it was a name given to us. What uh-huh. did he look like? Yeah, John came. So we we moved to from there. Uh, that time, I we ended up moving to a little cottage just right on Chesapeake Bay, real nice little area. Uh-huh. And, uh And um. Strange things were going on. I'd close my eyes, and a dove would appear at my forehead. It looked like a movie, a flying dove in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I met my guides, and angels were coming in, and there were spirits around. And um, then there's this tall white being that would stand at the end of my yard. I called Watcher because he would always watch me. And he would be present, and I was told through him that I needed to take to do three Reiki sessions. Well, I didn't know what Reiki was, um, but I found a Reiki master, and it turned out to really help me a lot, release a lot of, of um, blocks in my uh, body that, uh, you know, came from a difficult childhood and, and a stressful um, uh, upbringing. 
So I did the three Reiki sessions, and that's when John was brought in. And he first appeared to me physically, fully physical, very, very, so tall he had to hunch down to work with me, and he could touch my face from the standing at the end of the queen bed. He could reach and touch my face. Mm. And he was kind of insect-like, like I think a praying mantis, but not quite, um, you know, he had a very complicated body. I couldn't even draw it when he was physically in front of me because I really didn't know what I was looking at. Wow. Hmm. Well, you say he worked on you, but he didn't have hands, so... No, he had hands. Oh, he did have hands, okay. Yeah, he had hands, yeah. And they were long, and he had very long fingers, and one time he put his finger right in front of my face, and I didn't know what he wanted, but he wanted me to close my eyes. He didn't want me to look at him. Anytime I looked at him, he would get upset and wave his arms. He never spoke. Hmm. and point right at my face. He had these real fine, delicate, copper-colored scales Hmm. on his hands, but they were so smooth, it looked like skin. But when he was close to me like that, I could see the the tiny little scales on his hand. But he was a very interesting guy. And at the same time, unbeknown to me, he uh, he, uh, was introduced to my uh, husband at the time, and... um, and was told not to interfere, that he would come every night, he was going to work with me, and my husband was not to interfere in every way, and that I was safe. Yeah, so, Yeah. So, you know, most people, I think, that would be listening to this and would hear that there's a a praying mantis-type creature (laughs) uh, uh, at the bottom of the basin reaching out for me would probably freak out. I mean, you you speak about this in a very normal voice. Weren't you uh, frightened at all? Well, I I bolted upright when he appeared, and I screamed out, this changes everything, (laughs) because he materialized, and that all, it just, the whole scientific paradigm crumbled right in front of me when that appeared. But also, he is a species, so I was super, I was very interested in what what this thing was. Uh, So... You know, I think my curiosity overrode my fear. Of course, my heart was racing, um, and I did cry. I said this, after I said this changes everything, I started to weep, and I just said, uh, um, I said something about we're so much more than we realize we are. Like your worldview crumbles. It did. Well, yeah. it did, and that was the point. I mean, there there was no solid ground. And actually, that part was traumatic, trying yeah. to fit it into my everyday life mm-hmm. and um, incorporate it, it, it. There was no solid ground, and that yeah. was a very stressful feeling right. um, it, until I surrendered to it and realized that that is just the, the fact that it is, that there is no solid ground. There, this is a limitless um, yeah. possibilities. And you've said these beings seem to be able to move between physical and non-physical existence, and uh, you've described them in terms of uh, quantum physics, so wave, waves and particles. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, actually, it, it, that is um, that, that really wasn't a correct way. The better way to describe it is through quantum entanglement. But mm-hmm. when you get right down to uh, the subatomic world, quantum entanglement, superposition, and what's called wave-particle duality is all working together at the same time. Mm-hmm. So um, I, they're moving through the subatomic world. Particles oscillate between multiple dimensions and realities, electrons, 
it could exist in parallel states and parallel worlds, but are connected through entanglement. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is um, this ability to re to materialize and dematerialize, and for me to travel, which I do often, um, is related to quantum entanglement through something called quantum teleportation, which uh. is the result of entanglement. It's a shared quantum state uh, at a distance. Um, so uh, I think quantum teleportation and quantum entanglement is a more accurate way mm. to describe uh, how they're able to move um, from, um, you know, particle to from, <coughs> from potentiality to actuality. That's what so it is. You... And I think that's why he didn't want me to look at him, because watching him can collapse the wave function, and it might inhibit his ability to dematerialize. I don't think it was for my sake. I think it was for his sake that I don't look at him because it's the observer that collapses the wave right. state of a particle. Hmm. So uh, that there, there's something to that. And I wish I was a physicist, and I apologize to any physicists out there fumbling <laughs> with this. <laughs> but it, it, it truly is. The work that John did with me for almost a year Mm -hmm. uh, he what he said he's doing when I asked him he said we're activating you and then five grays came in to assist mm -hmm. and um, every night they were doing all kinds of strange things rubbing and uh, just the, the insertion of things and I was being wired it it, it, yeah. it was just a indescribable I have I have hundreds of pages of of descriptions of what was going on. I just kept very good detailed journals from uh, uh, describing what took place. But so you, basically you had... when I asked John what he was doing, someone said to me, you are being activated, or we are activating you. And what they, I think they've done is they've altered the polarity in the part of my body that affects the spin of the electrons in superposition so I can disengage my consciousness and mm. transport it into an entangled quantum body through quantum teleportation. Is that what happens to you when you go out of body? Is that a, like well, out of body? Well, when I go out of body, it slowly came about that I established a full body on the other side. Mm. And it was interesting that there's another one involved, an observer, then my quantum body is complete. Um, mm -hmm. But when I'm traveling alone, often it's more like a remote viewing or astral travel where I'm more of a pair of moving eyes <clears throat> with limited physical abilities. But if I'm in the presence of somebody, I have a full, intact body. I can walk, talk, pick up things, eat uh -huh. things. Mm. But it's, it's a very light and buoyant body, and I just would love to play with it and jump and do real slow motion flips and... Whenever yeah. I had a chance, I would play with my body. And, you know, you could actually, um, even though it sounds a little nuts, you can actually do uh, flight with oh, it. And it is a joyful there. space yeah, to be really. in. Yeah, <laughs> really. But yeah. I had training. I had a team on the other side that was teaching me all this. And the, the beans were moving in through, to me, the exact same way that I move to other worlds. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is called oh. quantum transportation. Wow. Well, it's now, a, we're... Did any of these beings help you when you had this experience in, in your out-of-body state where you helped a little girl that was trapped? Oh, that, yeah, that was the most recent one. That was last year. 
you know, we're, um, now that is a whole, <laughs> I, I would go out of body and have different experiences. I, I had a group that were like my team in what I call the Quonset hut, but it was really tall, like 40 feet tall. Oh. And I would be taken there by what I call my escort. I'm always pulled off the bed. I'm either carried over the shoulder, in, cradled in the arms, sometimes on a platform, and then dropped in these specific areas. Hmm. And, uh, and there I would be interacting with people, uh, getting to know my own body and um, my own abilities. But at the Quonset Hut, um, it, it's almost as if they were... Um, if they were evaluating my progress, because the the last time I was in the Quonset hut, I was cradled in the arms of my escort. But as soon as I got there, I just shot straight up in the air out of his arms. Just there was just a sense of joy that raced through me, and I shot up in the air and did a real tight body spin like an ice skater when I got up mm-hmm. to the ceiling, mm-hmm. and I just spun around, and I just then I floated back down, and the team. Was, is about 14 people were in a red circle drawn on the floor, and they all came out of the red circle applauding when I did that. Huh. And that was the last time I was in the Quonset hut. It was almost as if I had accomplished something, getting to know um, my own my own body. <laughs> and uh, and so that so I would go to various places. Sometimes I'd be taken to places where somebody needed a healing. Um, I went one time to a, I was taken by my escort to a three-roomed facility, and uh, I walked past some very beautiful dark-skinned children with giant crystal blue eyes singing into a room with a lot of people just standing there, and one woman was very frail and sick, and she could see the anguish on her face, and it was strange because I knew what to do right away. I asked for a couple people to come and help me. I said, you... Let's lay her down. You hold her head. I'm going to, uh, you know, fix. I'm going to pull on her pelvis, and and I just manipulated her, and it was strange because I didn't even think about it. I just knew what to do, and then she was just the sense of relief came over her, and one of the men when she stood up and she was smiling, she was feeling so much better. They said, "We'll see you next Thursday." As I was leaving, <laughs> so I I do I. I do some healings when I'm out there, and sometimes it's just for the joy of being out there. Is there a sense and, of time out there? Um, well, I ask about time when I'm there. And yes, there is for me because I know I have to get back to my body. <laughs> I know that I'm out of body. Is there and, a time and what's limit? What's really strange, too, is there's a, there's a sense of gravity because when I'm traveling fast in vehicles, and I've traveled in some very strange ones, like a pink disc, I feel G-force. I actually am thrown back. I have to hang on because I feel the G-force, but the ones I'm riding with don't. But it, I, it's like, how can I feel G-force in this you know, environment where gravity does, and time doesn't seem to exist? It's odd. Uh, I don't know if it's just my consciousness saying there's going to be G-force because we're going this fast. Uh, so it's something that I haven't overcome in my consciousness, um, or if it actually exists. But I have a sense of time. Uh, but that when I ask about dates, what date it is, um, they just either look at me like it's a weird question, or <laughs> they ignore me. Yeah. So now, Greg, uh, has Greg seen these beings also? 
Um, you've, right. Greg's seen the grays. I call them, they're not really the grays. They're the tans because they're tan colored. They're the same size, though, you know, about four feet, uh-huh. very uh, um, uh, frail, but yet elegant in their own way. They have kind of diamond-shaped heads, and their eyes are in proportion with their face. They're not oversized. Um, and uh, the, the my escort has purple eyes. Hmm. He's very, uh, uh, really interesting. But anyway, I'll let Greg answer that. He's seen a couple of um, one time looking through a window. and Yes, I did have the experience when we were living on Siesta Key where um, one of the, the grays was looking in the window. Um, but with with what Susan's been going through uh, recently, no, I, I haven't seen um, these um, creatures. The bad guys, the, the bozo. No, no but I did have... Uh, for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I... Definitely, because I know what she's going through. Yeah. Um, but I did have an experience since the last time we talked um, regarding that, where I woke up from a deep sleep, and um, I, I started getting this real, it's hard to describe, but this real icky feeling that came over me, mm-hmm. um, kind of a creepy feeling of mm-hmm. agitation, and it just flowed through my entire body. For, for no reason at all, and and it was very difficult for me to get back to sleep. And uh, when I shared that with Susan the next day, that's uh, the same thing that she goes through practically every night. Hmm. Yeah, it, it all started back with that little girl. You, I, I yeah, uh, I well, got off track here a little bit, but you know, do you want to jump to the little girl rescue? Yeah, that, that that's that's right now what you're going yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. I've done so the healing I've done, I've done uh, uh, I participate in soul rescues where souls that are trapped in difficult situations are are released to the light. And um and in this one time last year, last June, I was lying in bed and I'm usually pulled straight off and I go through a portal in the hallway. That's where our that's my portal there. Uh, or I'll go straight up if I'm going by myself. But this time the bed fell out from under me, and I just fell straight through the floor. You know, with, I was still facing upward, and as I fell through the floor, it became a ceiling with the entire – I was in this very large square shaft, and the ceiling was pure white with a beautiful uh, halo relief of a saint looking right at me. Mm-hmm. And as that saint um, started to um, um, quickly be out of sight because I was falling so so fast, and then I fell through another floor, I was thinking, boy, I'm going to land on my back somewhere. That's not going to be very good. But when I fell through the second floor, which then that became a ceiling, and on that ceiling was attached a a series of beautiful kinetic sculptures, almost Mm. like mobiles that were moving and very colorful and it caught my attention so much that I actually took control of my body. I think that was the point of those sculptures. The saint was watching over me. You're being watched over. Mm-hmm. The sculptures, I, I stopped my descent, went up to the sculptures, and I played with them and hit them and spun them around a little bit and examined them and realized that, hey, I, con- I controlled my descent. This is good. Uh-huh. So then I floated downward feet first. Uh, once I realized that, so I think the purpose of the sculptures were for me to, you know, you know, stop falling helplessly and to take control of my descent. 
And um, on the way down, I ran into a few scenarios with animals and such. And animals are earth energies. When they die, they're part of the earth. And, you know, I think they stay here on the earth and we visit them. Because this one woman was visiting with her five dogs. Huh. And um, and I saw a, a horse that I used to love from the 70s. And, and then from there, I went on down to this uh, very contemporary, beautiful, large uh, interior of a house. Landed right in the living room. There was like a Scandinavian-type furniture, very contemporary, beautiful lines, very feng shui, uh, flat-screen TV. And I'm walking around, and I'm saying, hello, hello, because there's always a purpose. There's always somebody on the other end. And I was confused. It's like, where, you know, where is everybody in this big house? And I walked in big, beautiful kitchen with granite countertops. And I was standing with my hands on the, one of the countertops that I was admiring and thinking, well, I guess I'll go upstairs. Maybe they're upstairs. And then at that time, I heard this growl, this really uh, ferocious growl behind me. <clears throat> and I just, it, uh, I was in shock. And I turned around, and this thing was standing about 10 feet from me, and he had these two little things beside him that were only about three feet tall that were just his minions, I call them. They were creatures. What did he look like? He was upright dressed in black leather all the way. He had hands and feet, just like human, um, big hands, and but his face was like a combination of a um, an angry chimpanzee and a very vicious dog, and he was snarling mm-hmm. and had fangs. And I, my eyes just widened. I, I was like, holy crap, i got to get it out of here. And I intended to shoot up through the ceiling to the second floor to get, to, uh, to get away from him because he took a step towards me. But what I did is I shot up, but it was over his head because he was coming towards me. And just before I hit the ceiling, I turned around and I gave him a big F.U. kick in the back of his head with my heel <laughs> uh, just as an act of defiance, which is kind of my nature. <laughs> and I, and instead of landing in the second floor where I expected, I landed in this this cavern that was had to have been his lair. It was like a coal mine black. I was illuminated, so I could see, um, you know, uh, to a certain distance, and I could see that it was not a very big cavern. Um, you know, maybe 20 feet wide, and it went up for about 30 or 40 feet, but it. it the grade was an upward grade and uh, I saw a little pile of bones there in the you know about about 20 feet away from me and I thought oh my god I'm sitting on a little ledge in there and I know I'm this is his lair I've got to get the heck out of here and I was about to leave and I noticed off to my right this little child curled up in a dugout alcove in this cavern and she was all balled up and I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to track the the, the demon guy. And I was motioning frantically, going, "Come on, come on! I can get you out of here! Come on!" I was whispering, "I can get you out of here! Come, come, come!" I'm throwing up my arms, and she looked up, but she wouldn't move. And I was patting my chest and opening my arms, going, "This, you've got to come!" And finally, instead of coming towards me, she ran straight ahead of me up to that little, where the little pile of bones was. And she pointed to her right. And I was like, oh, my God, okay, she knows this better than I do. So I ran up there um, hoping to uh, find a way out, and she was pointing at a big, really big, heavy wooden door. 
something that she was about four years old. There's no way she could have opened it. So I pulled the door open with both hands, and I saw that there was a little forested area in the in the distance, not too far distance. And I, my plan was, okay, it was daylight outside. I said, I can scoop her up, and we run for the forest. So I ran over, scooped her up, ran out the door, and by the third step, the first two steps were towards the forest. The third step, <coughs> I was totally engulfed in white light everywhere, just this brilliant, wonderful, pure white light. And I just stood there in shock, and I looked down, and she wasn't in my arms anymore. Jeez. Hmm. Then I got back to my body, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> it was amazing. And I think it, I realized that it was a soul rescue, and the bones were her bones. Oh. And that creature was, I think he was human, but his energy is so um, dark that he has taken on a grotesque form because hmm. it's manifested grotesquely because of his dark predatory nature. You think and, that, uh, of this as a afterlife or a different dimension, or how would you? God, I, well, it's pretty awful. this is the underworld, and I think she was—that okay. was her soul, and that was his trophy. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And I—I I was just blown away by it. And you thought and, you got uh, away from him? I, uh, yeah, I was really relieved by that. I, I never expected anything like that, and so I was very, very happy about it. What was really neat is. Uh, the two days later, I went to lie down, and I had a, uh, uh, a the escort came in, took me on a platform, and dropped me at a, outside of a building on a college campus. And I love college campus. I just love the energy, and it was right in front of a research building, which is like my second home. So I went in there like I worked there, like it was familiar to me, and there was this kind of large jovial looking fellow I knew was the director and I, I was I walked into the lab ready to get to work and he goes there's a festival on campus today and why don't you um, go and have some fun don't work today <laughs> so and I thought it was interesting because I think it, when he was talking about don't work today I think it was like the work that I do with healing and so rest uh -huh. yeah and it and I went and had the I mean, a festival on top of being on campus is like, you know, just the greatest thing that could could happen. And I had the best time walking around campus. Ended up in a water balloon fight with some students. But um, <laughs> I just I just had a wonderful time. The festival was beautiful. There was there were uh, magicians and musicians and um, arts and crafts and. Then I ended up uh, with a group of students, and that's where I really had a lot of fun, just some rough-and-tumble kind of play. Oh. And uh, then I ended up coming back to my body, and I was just, uh, you know, it was just a really good, a fun time out, out of body. And I think it was meant to be that way after that intense uh, um, soul rescue. When did Bozo show up? So then, a few days later, I'm lying in bed in the afternoon. I would do my work from 11 to 2 because I'm, I would do all my work around here. I'm a gardener and a cook and I sew and so I wear myself out pretty quickly and so I lie down not only to give myself a rest but also to, to work with the energies and to do my out-of-body stuff and then after my out-of-body stuff when I come back I take a very pleasant nap and then I get up and start the rest of my day. So I lie down and uh, 
you know, just starting to vibrate like I usually do before I go out of body. And um, all of a sudden I hear that same exact growl mm. that I heard when I was in that, that house before I rescued that little girl. It was the same growl. And I opened my eyes, and he was standing at the end of the bed. Oh, my God. And I freaked out. <laughs> it, was a, it was like he found me. And I have since found out that you need to cut the ties when you return from things like that. Mm-hmm. You need to go through a, a, a ritual to cut the ties so they can't um, follow you back. But I don't know. I'm learning as I go along. Yeah. So this, this was a year almost a year and a half ago, um, and uh, it has been an everyday struggle ever since. I mean, look, I have tried everything under the sun. I've gone, I've had a shaman uh, come in, and we had a sacred fire ritual, which was wonderful. I've learned a lot because I don't, I don't really um, spend time with this stuff. I, I, I'd rather just be objective and write down what happens and then file it and and uh, go on with my life. So I, I hired a shaman, and the fire ceremony was very nice. Didn't do anything. I got a medical intuitive to, to uh, give me a reading. Went to a Reiki master, had an aura cleansing, and then I went to a psychic where I had to pour this salt water and herbal solution over my head with a bucket every day after <laughs> I showered <laughs> to cleanse my aura, right, times. and have candles and flowers in the room and do prayers in the room. So I did all that for like a month. It took me forever to get the salt out of my hair after that. <laughs> uh, I went to a site, uh, other site, oh, a, Dar- a Dharmapala Buddhist in Tibet who was a friend of mine. Um, he wrote a very elaborate clearance ceremony for me and he put his heart and soul and it took a month to do it included music and and uh you know he recorded all the um the uh steps to do during the clearance ceremony it's like an eight-hour event wasn't it something like that well it took all morning for us uh Uh we did easter morning yeah and we were all set up we took it very seriously and i mean i i was totally my heart and soul was into it because uh yeah, at one point I accidentally, I had this large brand new carving knife that was supposed to represent the blue flame demon slayer sword of St. Michael <laughs> mm-hmm. that's used in the clearance. And while I was slashing the air every in every part of the room, cutting all ties and, you know, um, um, I accidentally cut myself, but I was so into it, I just like took the blood and I licked it and I smeared it on my face and I got went totally brave heart on the guy, right? <laughs> and I said I was just this I, I I was as devoted to this clearance ceremony as I could possibly be. And um, afterwards, I was exhausted and I thought, yeah. okay, we did it. This is it. And for a couple of days, we it was quiet. But then he always comes back, no matter yeah, but, what I do. Right. The, the, well, you had ghost hunting um, groups there too, right? Yes, yes. I thought, well, you know, I get his recordings. I can hear him sometimes very out loud. He's in the, he's in the room. I can hear him speaking. Uh, so I would do recordings, not all the time, a couple times a week, because it takes a lot of time to go over the recordings afterwards. And I just don't sit at the computer like that for that long. Um so I do it maybe twice a week, and uh, well, some of these recordings are pretty shocking. 
Uh, yeah, John? yeah, I got, I got, I've got a, quite a collection of them, and I, I, I only do it a couple times a week. I can't imagine if I uh, do it all the time what I would be picking up. Right. So I thought, well, I need to get some good paranormal groups in here, and maybe they can, uh, you know, catch things on camera or get better recordings because I just use a little digital recorder. And the first group came in on May 23rd. And they were a lot of fun. It was like five or six of them. Uh, and they were all kind of laughing. And it, they were definitely an amateur group, but they were <laughs> they travel all over and do this. And um, they, got, they didn't really get anything, which is amazing because I had my digital recorder set up in the room where they were. They sat in that room for a long time because I gave them some background information. And I came in the room with them for a long time. And... I got, on my recording, I got him, Bozo, talking, and, you know, he did not like these people. He was like, get the hell out, and he'd say (laughs) ignorance, and just have a tantrum that they were there. Um, Oh, he couldn't stand them, and uh, they they didn't pick up anything. So then I got another group that was a more um, serious group, and they came in. It took them an hour to set up their equipment. It looked like they were going to film a a show or something here. They had so much equipment set up everywhere, and they had two sensitives with them, and um, they didn't want any background information at all, Hmm. which Hmm. I thought was a very good way, a blind study, right? Right. Well, the sensitives ended up, they said they didn't pick up anything in my bedroom, but my recorder was going, and I picked up plenty. They had that giant recorder, like the one I bought, that that, uh, John... Which one is it? It's a good recorder. Yeah. But they, I, but I can't pick up anything on that. I pick it up huh. on my little digital. Um, John, and that's let's what they use, and they never picked up anything. But I picked picked it up on my digital. Yeah. And let's, they found the spirit in my sewing room who was talking about not wanting to go to jail. I mean, I don't pay attention <laughs> to little spirits. They come and go all the time. You know, I have children, and uh, uh, you know, uh, just various spirits that, that are passing through, they're all over the place. You know, we've, we're blind to it, so we don't go insane. <laughs> you, you, so, have this, you have this open interdimensional window there. Mm-hmm. That's that's the issue you have, uh, that uh, the, this demon, who you call Bozo, seems yeah. to be able to move in and out and uh, with his well, demons. Let, let's get um, John see if he'll play a couple loops of the recordings you've made. They're, they're yeah. eerie. Yeah. John? Okay, yeah, and so uh, the first one, actually the first one I had pulled up was, uh, I think it's Chino, uh, says Chino uh, is talking to Bozo uh, uh, about it, don't want her to struggle, she might get up. So here we go. Okay. And I'll play it again. That's weird. Okay, you, you can uh, understand that, uh, Susan? You can interpret Oh, yeah, that? yeah. Yeah, I was in the sunroom um, lying down, hoping to get away from the activity in the bedroom. But I used to have peace in the sunroom, but now they come out here. So I set up the recorder, and they were, you know, bothering me. But, you know, I, I thought the direct sunlight from the sunroom, because I have a, a day bed out here, mm-hmm. um, would um, discourage them. 
but no, oh, they came out. Yeah. <laughs> So did you want to play more? Do you want me to yeah, play? Yeah, go, sure. go ahead. Sean. Yeah, and and just to maybe put it in perspective, that that the last recording was dated July 23rd this year. Uh, I've got two, one real short one, and then and then a little bit longer one. I'll just play back to back and then repeat. And it's from uh, July 30th this year. And uh, the first one is uh, Bozo talking to a minion, and then. Right after that, Bozo uh, says, I suck blood. So here we go. Creepy. Oh my God. Mm. And real quick again. Mm. Yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, yeah I, I can too. I suck it. That sound like you hit something. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. When I heard that one, I was like, "So you're a mosquito?" I figured you're some sort of a, uh, some sort of a parasite, and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he likes to try to intimidate me all the time, um, and, but I intimidate him back. And I know, I know, I know. We talked about this last time, but like on that, on this last clip, it sounds like he's hitting something. But yeah, I think does. last time you said that doesn't really manifest itself. It's just a, you just catch it on the recording. Yeah, he has temper tantrums, and he'll slam things and throw things around. And one recent uh, recording I have. He bumped into something and he used the F word, and then he says, then he talked about how he hit something, and you could hear it fall. But that was on his end. I mean, they're very mm. physical on their end, which is very strange. I can punch him, and I'm pinch, punching air, but the men, you know, start whining afterwards. She hit me. She hit me. <laughs> God. <laughs> but you, but you had a physical experience recently too, didn't you? Uh, just. It, within the past week? Uh... Day before yesterday, yeah. Okay, yeah, tell us about that. That is strange. Yeah, I, I was uh, in the bedroom. I was lying down. I was really tired. So, uh, you know, I, I did, um, I sat up and I did a prayer where I'm really now just totally um, bringing in divine energy and, and stating my sacred contract to only work in the light and only to serve <laughs> souls that are in need of help and to serve creation, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying this out loud uh, to uh, make it very clear to these entities that they, um, they, they have no business here. And I have been blessing the house, and I'm telling them that this is sacred ground. They must go. They must leave. And um, when I was doing this the other day, I caught Bozo saying, she is mine. I mean, he mm-hmm. said it so loud I could hear it in the room. She mm. is mine. When I was st- when I was stating uh, a sacred uh, vow to the divine that I serve. Uh, so you you heard it you heard it physically, not not. I heard it physically. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. But then I listened to the recording to validate that, and I went back in the room and I said, "I am not yours." Um, then just then I lay down, and. Um, I did some, uh, you know, clearance 
of the room, you know, with pulling in um, guides and protectors and things like that. And uh, then I rolled on my side and took a nap. And uh, I woke up with this terrible pain in my left side. They're always plugging into my left side. And I could feel this round, this thing on my head. It felt like about a seven-inch diameter warm water balloon because it was Mm -hmm. squishy soft. It was warm, and it had weight to it. And it's almost like it had some sort of tentacle that went down to about my sixth rib right behind my arm. And I could, it felt like, you know, someone was jabbing a real thick screwdriver or something into my huh. side. So I immediately reached my arm up and punched the thing off of my head and grabbed the taser. I use a taser because it distorts energy. And I used the taser uh, towards that thing that I knocked off my head. And then the recording I got from that I was Bozo saying in a real... Um, halting kind of uh, uh, voice going, I am angry. Then he Mm. said, shit, I am angry. I am hurt. And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that I just, was I just the last up, one I sent oh, you, John. Oh, well, and so so I'll play these back to back because I think this may be the one you were, the, Susan, this may be the one you were talking about where Bozo says she is mine. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she is mine. Okay. And then, uh, and then uh, here's the uh, I am hurt. When, and yeah, from ten sixteen, right? Okay. Here we go. This this is a little longer. It's about twenty seconds. Here we go. Can you get the volume higher, any higher on that, John? I, no. Yeah, it needs to be cleaned up a little bit. I didn't when I sent it to you. I didn't do anything but remove background noise. I didn't amplify or do anything. It could, yeah. it could use some tweaking that yeah. one. I, but I listened to it. I slowed it down. I listened to it through different modes on my uh, Audible, and that's why I made. I, I got it very clear that that's what he was saying. I just listened to it about a dozen times to make sure I caught it right. Yeah. And usually, you know, when when I come home. If Susan has captured something on the on the uh, recorder, um, first thing she wants me to do, of course, is to listen to it and edit. <laughs> to me, I, I could hear it was plain as day. Wow! Yeah, what he was saying. I would ask him, "Tell me what you think he's saying." Right. Wow. You know, without telling him, so it would validate what I was picking up too. Yeah. Greg, well, don't you worry about this stuff when you're at work. <laughs> Well, I, I, I am concerned, um, uh, and, and it's been uh, affecting uh, Susan's um, enjoyment of life and, mm-hmm. and her mm-hmm. times that she would spend doing other things with, with, with the beings. So this has really taken away yeah. for the last year and a half right. from that opportunity. Um, right. So yeah, I, I do have a concern about yeah. it, and uh, so, she's she's pretty feisty, and <laughs> she's she's you know fighting back at these guys. But um, 
Yeah, I do have a concern about it. Yeah. So this is an ongoing experience for you, Susan, and you know, hopefully you're going to overcome this. But uh, you're well, in good. I, you're, you're in, let me just finish this. You're in good company since uh, Buddha also had a demon uh, <laughs> harassing him and tempting him. Uh, just as he was about to become enlightened, uh, the, uh, his uh, demon was named Mara, M-A-R-A. -A. Oh. And even after he became enlightened, uh, the demon Mara still came around for a couple years, but uh, finally, finally va uh, uh, vanished. Um, do you see this as a challenge that uh, will allow you to expand your awareness and raise your consciousness overall? Absolutely, yes. I know that this is something that I need to understand and I need to control. And in preparing for this um, interview, it just suddenly dawned on me what was going on. I looked at all the information that I had and I started putting it all together. And, um, you know, there's uh, times when I have... I would try early in, early um, on in this activity, I decided I was just going to ignore it, even if it came close to me. Um, and a woman's voice said to me, loud and clear, the same woman's voice who once said to me, you are living the future. She goes, I don't think this is very ethical. That, like she was scolding me lovingly. Huh. I don't think, and I shot up in bed. I said, okay, that's it. I know I can't let them be here. Because I, I thought if I just ignore them, they'll go away. But so then I started fighting back. That's when I started fighting back, and I tried to do the healing. I did all kinds of healing stuff for him, but it's like trying to hug Ted Bundy and getting a result. It's just not going to happen. And it, that wasn't the appropriate way to approach it. And so I'm fighting back, um, well, just, and I've been trying all types of methods. Um, and, What's this uh, Faraday cage that you And then built? what happened was one day I wondered, I thought about the mirror, and I thought, I wonder if a mirror could reflect their energy. And mm -hmm. so I took a full-length mirror off the bathroom door, and I laid in bed, and I put it on top of me, and I got in a recording, a minion, Chino, going, she's hiding, she's hiding. And as soon mm -hmm. as I put the mirror on top of me, I was under the covers, too. They couldn't find me. Huh. And I thought, I wonder if the silver in that mirror is somehow deflecting their energy. And that, that's when I thought about a Faraday cage. Mm -hmm. And um, then uh, I had this small dome tent that I bought. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a beach tent. But um, I thought, you know, I could do a makeshift Faraday cage. And I, I bought a grounding mat during all this. I bought crystal bowls, you know, lots of things trying to use against this thing. And so I used my, put it on my grounding mat, this little dome tent in my living room, and I used like five rolls of the extra wide heavy-duty aluminum foil, <laughs> and oh. I covered the entire tent with aluminum foil down to the grounding mat and plugged the grounding mat into the ground that, on the outlet, and I made a Faraday cage. Hmm. And a Faraday cage is uh, it's a hollow conductor. It distributes the electromagnetic or energy, electromagnetic waves, radio waves, Wi-Fi, all that. It's shielded. Um, it shields anything in the interior from any waves coming through. It's a lot like um, when lightning hits a plane. Uh -huh. The energy is distributed around the plane to the passengers. It serves as a Faraday cage in a sense. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, if What's happening is I know they're feeding off my energy. 
what they're doing on my left side all the time. They're plugging into me because it's directly affecting my nervous system. Mm-hmm. I can feel the reactions of my body. I get, um, I get heart arrhythmias. I get this awful stingy knot in my abdomen, mm. like my sympathetic nervous system has been activated. I think they're tied into the intercostal nerves. That's why I get so sore after that time. The other day when I hit him, boy, I was really tender. The next morning I wasn't, but I was tender there the rest of the day. And mm. um, and I think they're plugging into my my nervous system. Mm. And what's happening is they're feeding off. I have a vibration that allows me to travel out of body, and they're taking advantage of that and feeding off of it, so they have the energy to manifest. Ooh, wow. So I'm what I'm. I found out that I'm what's called a physical medium. Hmm which is a medium that um, serves almost as a battery. Uh-huh. You know, the way that the, the vibration of a physical medium is such that it allows um, non-physical beings to manifest. Hmm. Could they also speak, speak right through you, do you think? Let's hope not. What's that? <laughs> Could they speak right through you, like to talk to Greg? Oh, I'm not going to. Oh, you mean you, channeling? Yeah, like that. Is that what you mean by physical medium? No, physical medium is that my energy provides energy for uh, for non-physical entities to um, to materialize okay. physically. Okay. That's why I get them material to physically materialize oh. in the oh. room. Okay. That it's my frequency that oh. uh, allows it to happen. Mm. And uh, and I've been told this before. I've been told I was a tuning rod. Yeah. I've been told that I channel beings physically, and I never really understood what that meant. And then I um, talked to this amazing psychic in England um, named Gail Webb. I just read her book, Soul Searchers, and she devotes her life to working with clearing out dark energies from hauntings and things like that. Right. And uh, and she said, you are a physical medium and you are a rescue medium. Mm-hmm. And I think she really nailed that. I yeah. I never heard of that. So I looked it up, and um, it's exactly what I've been told in the past, both by guides and by other psychics. Mm-hmm. What's and your book so called? It's my Souls. energy that I need to control, and he's plugging into me like and stealing it. Like if you would plug a, a an extension cord into your neighbor's outlet uh-huh. to run your refrigerator you know mm. it's he's feeding off of me that way i don't think yeah. they're fe- feeding off of my flesh i think mm-hmm. they're feeding Let's off of not. my <laughs> nervous system yeah. so this oh. is um somehow i've allowed this to to i've allowed them to get too close yeah but uh actually when you talk to gail she told you that protectors are watching to make sure that you're not in grave danger and uh, but they want you to go through this for many reasons, so, and uh, one of them is to motivate you to go more public uh, with what's with your experiences. Yeah. She says it's it's dragging me kicking and screaming into the public <laughs> eye because I am like the, the the as introverted as one can be. I would okay. be happy, you know, on a mountaintop with no one around for miles yeah. and miles. And, uh, you know, I'm a homebody, I I garden, I sew, I cook, I just love being at home, I love my husband, and I'm I'm shy, 
And yeah. so I, other than little bits and pieces, I really, and also just using a pseudonym, I, mm-hmm. I was not comfortable coming public with this. But now mm-hmm. I'm out there with my name yeah. and t- really talking openly about it, and I'm getting a little more comfortable with it. I still makes me feel strange because yeah. I don't want people to think I'm Looney Tunes. And but, here you're um, talking on a podcast. Yeah, right. right. And you're, oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. Right. I, and she is absolutely right. It is, it is forcing me to um, go public with all this information, and I've kept very good records. Yeah, and see, also, accurate records of everything. This is helpful to people who experience these types of things but don't have a context in which to understand it. You yeah. know, so you're helping other people in that sense, too. And we can't wait till your book is uh, out. Uh, you're working. Oh on yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. getting to it. I'm getting back to it. COVID has really put a you know um, damper on on that along with Bozo. Mm-hmm. But I know I'm being protected too because I got COVID and I first thing I was worried about is how vulnerable I'd be to co- to the beans because right. I slept like 20 hours a day. I was so exhausted with COVID. Uh, yeah. I'd get up to use the bathroom to get something to eat, and go back to sleep. And, you know, the whole time, it took me a, a good solid week just to get back on my feet again. But mm. the whole time I was left alone. I, I uh, wasn't bothered wow. at all. And I thought oh, I was most vulnerable. That's so I know that they're there. They're yeah. standing in the background. They're not going to let it go too far. But mm-hmm. they've got, I've got to, I got to grow up, basically. I've got to get a grip. i got to grow up. And I've got to understand that I need to take control of my own energy. And yeah. I'm gonna. What I need is that Faraday cage. I think is the answer. The thing is, I tried to preserve all the aluminum that I took off, and I just couldn't <laughs> reassemble it. It was a big mess, and I just recycled it all. And I said, "That's that's not going to work." So I, I think I'm just going to actually have to invest in a good copper Faraday cage that uh-huh. I can do my work in. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so uh, that is at least the place to start because I've got uh, I've got. Um, an outlet that everybody wants to plug into. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how has this affected you, Greg? I mean, Susan realizes she has to become more public. What, what, what is the lesson here for you as somebody who's married to her? Well, again, I'm, I'm really concerned because it does affect her quality of life and Mm -hmm. everything. And, and, um, it's taking away from her other activities. Um, and and I, as as I mentioned earlier in in the program that I experience one of those icky feelings too one uh-huh. night and and she deals with that daily so yeah, um, right. you know it's it's not something that I'm too happy about yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I'm I've been helping her in every way that I can and and supporting her to help find ways to right um, keep them keep them at bay. Right. Yeah. yeah, we, um, you know, my day, day-to-day stuff is, uh, is wonderful. It's not like I'm, like, in this deep, dark depression or anything right. like that. I just get up, I clear my energy, I can, I can feel it in the morning, and I actually literally just pull it out. And all I have to do to pull it out is say a prayer. I, I yeah. say, I'm a daughter of God. I'm a companion of God. I work in the light, and little by little, I can actually feel it mm-hmm. shrink in my in my solar plexus and and pull outward. Yeah. So uh, I, every morning I just clear it. Some mornings yeah. are worse than others, but I just I, I'm always able to clear it. 
And I get up and do my day, you know. I get uh-huh. ready, I do my gardening, yeah. I play in dinner. So, you know, my day-to-day stuff. But like this weekend, after I, uh, you know, gave a, a, a bruise into Bozo, <laughs> we slept out here in the sunroom area. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, I don't want to sleep in the bedroom tonight. <laughs> right. So we spent the last two days, which is fun. We call it camping out. Right, yeah. And uh, we slept out in the sunroom. And, and uh, no problems out there? Uh, yeah, a little bit. What he's been doing lately, because he's raging about my the devotion to working in the light, he right inside my ear. He'll wake me up with real heavy breathing. I mean, it's like inside my ear. And it's like, real deep breathing or growling. It's like dog. dog. And and what I do is I have the sleeping headphones, and I I love the Gregorian chant CD, and I just play that, and I fall asleep to the Gregorian chants, and I just listen to that all night long, and it overrides that. Otherwise, if I didn't have that, it would that would drive me insane because yeah. it's scary. Well, Susan, we you... Susan, we have uh, a heavy breather here, uh, Golden Retriever <laughs> Nigel. And, uh, he he lays down underneath the table during every time we do a podcast, and he knows when they're over. He knows when an hour is up, and he starts getting up and kind of batting, his ball batting his and tail around and panting, and so. Uh, we've uh, reached the end of our hour, and we want to thank you very much for coming. This has been great. A nice, uh, good follow-up. Uh, very interesting. Very scary. Oh, it's very my pleasure. I always enjoy talking to two, the two of you. There's yeah. so much material to cover, but I'll get back to that book, I promise you. Okay. <laughs> and we want you to come on periodically and let sure. you know, give, us, give us updates. Yeah. <laughs> See where sure, yeah, yeah. I'll save some good clips too for you okay good yeah and and so. thanks john thank you for uh, all of your input and your help no problem hope, so hope good talking to you both yeah okay. you take care greg yeah. you too okay thank okay. you take care thanks for joining the mystical underground visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical.